Hi, welcome back to Background Centuries. On this week's episode, uh, we're going to be... Hey. Sorry, were you going to were you gonna chime in? Well, I didn't... I just didn't get to tell oh, him. Oh, I sort of I sort of just went right. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I, I kind of just... Uh, yeah, no, I just didn't get to tell him who I was. Or you didn't get to tell him who you were either, you know? just want to keep it... This is Ethan. This is Noah in the, in the show. And welcome back to Background Background Centuries. Honey, get the... We, actually, we're going to... Remember, we we talked about we talk. doing a... Cause we, we talked about doing a... Yeah. Oh, 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 uh, yeah, okay. Um, Background Centuries. Down the rabbit hole we go. Down the rabbit hole we go. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, uh, here's uh, one that I'm, I th- thought of just now. Background Centuries... He shoots, he scores. Hey, that's... It's like a sporty one. Yeah. We could try it. And it's sort of landing in more than one place. Yeah. Background Um, centuries. Is it loud in here? No, I think it's... It's pretty good. Oh, the... Oh, oh, that's sorry. It was actually... That was your... That was was your... No, that's really good. I like that. I like that. Uh, Background century. Balls in your court. Background century, and that was actually a tag. I wasn't referring to you having to. No, no, I should have been I, more the, clear. My, 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 I don't have a current. I'm currently not at a court. Okay, I just so want. I wasn't sure if it was that would be super if I confusing didn't. if I was at some sort of recreational basketball court or a, or a tennis court or something like that. But no, I'm I'm just just sort of here in my in my house. So, um, I I'm gonna be honest. I really think that uh, if we were gonna go with one of these one of these that we were saying. I think that your second one was really good. Do you want to go ahead and give one. your second one verbatim again? Balls in background, nope. background century. Rut row, Raggy. <laughs> that was it. That was the second one that you said. Yeah, that's pretty good. Canonically, that was the second. So I like that one. I think that's. I think that's it. I think that's rut, rut row, Raggy. That feels like that feels like the one. It's like it's like new and hip, but I think the kids will love it. So welcome back to Background Centuries. Background Centuries. Ruh-ro, Raggy. So we got some exciting things going on this week. Yeah. Uh, some, uh, another deep dive into uh, this educational podcast that we've endeavored to, to, gift, to gift to you guys because mm-hmm. we just feel like there's just not enough good information out there. Yeah, I've been, I've been searching through the internet because I recently unlocked it. Um, because it was locked for so long, but I, I I unlocked the internet and I was like looking and I was trying to find, I was trying to find any good information and it was just really sparse. So, so here we and are. If anyone else had that same problem of the internet being locked, we'd like to hear from you, kind of how you solved that because yeah, we found it to be pretty pretty. I mean, I had to get my mom to unlock it. Oh, um, so it was sort of just a thing on your computer. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because my computer is sort of my my internet avenue that I use, which is super unique and interesting. It's really unique and interesting, and I think that we've spent enough time talking about it. If I'm being honest, why don't you uh, hit that uh, hit that old? Should we should we go into our first segment? Our first segment we like to call pinpoint. Pinpoint. Say it one more time. Pinpoint. 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 <laughs> All 
right, here we go. And we're going to that metaphorical dart on the metaphorical map. It's thrown. And, okay, Ethan, you're going to love this one. This little town, and I think you've heard of it. Budapest, Hungary. Oh, Budapest, Budapest Hungary. Hungary. Which That's is right. which I'm gonna, I'm about to say a joke, so be careful. Um, Hungary. I mean, I guess I did just have lunch. <laughs> hey, that was that was something, <laughs> right? I think it was. Um, I don't know. That was just kind of something that I thought of because it's spelled differently. Hungary, the place, and and Hungary, the the feeling is spelled differently. But I I figured people would get it. What I'm trying to say. Like, for the longest the time, I sort of just thought that the spelling for the country was a more intense way of spelling the feeling for when, like, maybe you didn't just get breakfast, but you also skipped lunch. Oh, man. So, like, instead of being, like, a more hungry or hungrier, you would be you would say Hungary. Hung- Hungary. Yeah. That's, that's right. That's really good. That's really that's a that's like a fun thing for, like, a child to think. You and know? it was as a child. And in fact, I thought that up until uh, my fourth year in, uh, in my, my doctoral studies, when I finally discovered that it wasn't, it wasn't about, it wasn't anything about your stomach. So, did, so when, actually, you were, when you were taking your, your Hungary class, did you think that it was some sort of nutritional um, dietary, dietary learning course well, that's sort of what got me interested in the course in the first place. At that point, I was um, 325 pounds. And my mom actually um, kind of gave me an ultimatum. She said, you can... <laughs> you can... <laughs> you can what? I Sorry, I forgot, I, I forgot your, your, your huge um, weight loss journey. <laughs> Yeah, I sort of burnt most of the pictures, so there's not a, a, there's not anything of a paper trail left, except in my in my memory. So she gave except me an ultimatum. She said either you can you can shape up, literally, uh, or or you're out. It it was it was either I continued to live uh, there or or um, it wasn't it wasn't the anyway. Oh, so, so, oh, this, so is your did you have like a like a bad mom? Well, like a mean, a mean mother. I would say we've patched things up since then. Okay, no, no, that, uh, that makes things, sense. Things are pretty good. We've we've been talking a lot more recently, and uh, yeah, things have been good. So I saw the title of this class, and I sort of thought that it was uh, the the uh, equivalent of like an AA. Mm, like, group. are you hungry? Are you hungry? Well, here's the group to come and talk about that. Yeah. And I no. was hungry. I was really hungry at that time that I saw the title of the class. Mm-hmm. And so there was a part of me that was thinking, I mean, I am hungry. Uh, and then the other part of me that was very, very fresh in my mind of my mother telling me that I was uh, going to be. So anyway, I enrolled for this class. And this was where you were at Columbia, right? It was while I was at Columbia, and I and I, I mentioned that because Columbia is very unique, and it's uh, when when you pick your your classes, it is sort of a job fair thing where you just walk around and see the class names, kind of like it's a, a science fair or something where there's just different booths for the class, and we're just walking around. So you must have just not had anything to eat. And I'm not going to say it was misleading, but the class 
talking about the development and cultural renaissance of the country Hungary, the booth was in the shape of a hamburger. <laughs> well, that was that was going to be the original symbol for the for the um, Hungarian flag, which was super ironic because I later found out that that was totally by accident. Yeah, they only used that booth. Because it was the only one left over, everyone else already took the other booths, mm-hmm. and they kind of procrastinated about it and yeah. just set that one out. Yeah, so, I think because it because the year the year previous it was the the booth for Hungry Ham's Hamburger Hotspot. That's right, which is out of business now. Out of unfortunately. business, thank goodness, because you know the big scandal about instead of them using a hundred percent real beef, they used say it with me. B kneecaps. Or <laughs> in re- in retrospect, it seems like they would it would cost them a lot more a lot more to get <laughs> the kneecaps off of bees than to just get some beef, but. <laughs> Yeah, not financially lucrative. <laughs> no, and that's was partly why those, they went out of business. It was, yeah, Their hamburgers was, were just so dang expensive. So, so gall darn expensive. Those getting because I, I wanted, like getting getting silk from a spider is really hard. But you've never tried to get kneecaps off a bee. Yeah, one you need their consent, <laughs> which has taken so many years for us to be able to communicate effectively with bees. Oh yeah, because we had to teach them how to write English. They had to teach us how to do their bee dances. It was a it was a two way street, all right. But it was it was a long two way street, you know. Yeah, yeah. So let's get back to to Budapest, Budapest, Hungary, Budapest. Yeah, because that's what we're supposed to be talking about this entire time that we've been talking. Oh, thanks for reminding me. No, yeah, I'm just bringing it back. Bring yeah, it back. so uh, Budapest, um, such such a a a rich and uh, dare I say diverse uh, mm. history. Um, I know that in, in certain sources, some would categorize that, or I I guess I should say color it as checkered. I prefer, Mm -hmm. I prefer the term diverse, but, uh, yeah, Budapest, Hungary, uh, it's, it's origins go all the way back to just before the middle ages. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that time when the rest of, uh, central Europe, was experiencing something of a downturn as we as we know well in in education in medicine uh good tv shows to watch kind of sparse right pre-netflix pre-hulu era that's right that's right and during during that time there was sort of a there was sort of a reverse trajectory Mm -hmm. experienced in in budapest while central europe and much of that part of the that part of the world that we've tended to center our study on for the middle ages um sort of this this peripheral development happening in budapest was going a different direction uh, uh i would call it an upward trajectory they were in a sense experiencing their own very early renaissance period at that time uh, a flowering in art and literature that you just wouldn't see in other parts of the world at that time. 
specifically in Central Europe. Uh, and so we have this very unique, almost bubble happening mm. in in Budapest that gives us a a peculiar window to sort of peer into to see how cities and how cultures develop uh, independent from major world shifts, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been uh, Googling when NCIS LA is on tonight. I wasn't really listening to what you were saying. But for some some reason, my, com- my computer is using Bing instead of Google, which... Which really just which really just suck. But um, you said something about the the culture, the bubble bubbles in Hungary. Can you speak more on how important the use of bubbles are in their art and and fiction, um, and and self expression in any in any right? That's right. When when I use the word bubble, uh, I I should have specified I'm being uh, fairly literal. Mm-hmm. Fairly uh, literal was going to be the name of this this podcast actually. It was, it was. That was, I mean, Budapest, it was a discussion over breakfast about mm-hmm. Budapest mm-hmm. that got us talking about starting this in the first place. Yeah. Gosh. So, remember that good breakfast we had? It was so, I had never thought to put bananas on top of a steak. No, nobody, people, people don't usually, that's, that's something I learned from my good friend Elvis Presley. Yeah, bananas, put them anywhere. Bananas, put them on top of anything. What do you got? Put a nanner on it. That was also going to be that was one of the titles we were kicking yeah, around for this. Which podcast. could be like that could have could have been a good tagline if we didn't already come up with the perfect one today, Rut Row Raggy. Um, we'll, we'll just tuck that in the back of our, our brain. We'll tuck it back there. Time. Yeah. I mean it was also the name of one of Elvis's great unreleased songs. What do you got? Put a nanner on it. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. That was actually in the title. <laughs> that was in the title. But uh-huh's were a very pivotal part of the title. And tell us how it was spelled, because I was I would not have expected it. The uh huh uh huh uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's so weird. Elvis kind of Elvis kind of was a, a you know an interesting fella, because the uh huh uh huh uh huh uh huh part that was actually spelled. It started with a Q silent, and then U A H H H H H L R A U W. That was one uh huh. Yeah, just one. That was one. Uh, so this is um, actually holds the record. This unreleased um, Elvis track actually holds the record for most letters in a title. It's true, which is odd that you, it, it being a world record holder, you'd think it was it'd be a little more known, a little more popular. It's really yeah, it's really not. But I think th- I think that just just by the mere mere fact of the only way that anybody could hear it is if they got the CD that. Um, Elvis Presley personally burned for me with the tracks on it. That's the only way you would be able to hear it. So I think that kind of stunted its, um, its, its growth as a as a top top one hundred track. And I know you've been playing that one really close to the chest. Yeah, just because you don't want you don't know you don't know who's going to be one of those uh, bad guys from an Indiana Jones movie who's going to take take it and 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 use it for evil. Going to take yeah. the this bit of history and. And give it to the to, to the Nazis or whatever. That's true. That's true. So, so the so bubbles in Hungary. Can you can you be more clear about um, about that? Yeah. So uh, there was an inventor uh, 
who lived in Budapest at the time, whose name was Strauss, uh, not originally from Budapest, mm-hmm. uh, but moved there as a, a young man in his studies. And during his, his uh, abroad studies in Budapest, came upon a, uh, a strange substance that he was unfamiliar with at the time, mm. but that he would come to uh, develop and stretch into a very uh, crucial ingredient in a an artistic substance that came to be that Budapest came to be known for later on, and it is a mixture of sulfur, um, pine resin, and uh, seawater, and uh, the salinity of the water actually makes a big difference. He found mm-hmm. out as he came to um, to conduct several tests down the road and and came to find a solution that was uh, perfect for creating very viscous and dense bubbles that Mm. you could then um, mix and pair with other uh, oil-based substances for the purpose of creating visual art. Visual three-dimensional, in the three-dimensional space. That's right. That's right. And so it started out as just combining acrylics and other oil-based pigments that he would then um, coat um, these these wires that women would use for their their hoop skirts. Mm-hmm. He would um, he would utilize these hoops and coat them, um, and by way of several adult men blow onto the ring, creating a very very large bubble. And it, it took as many as twenty mm. uh, twenty adult men. Um, and there was uh, several experiments of lung capacity across uh, various numbers. He yeah. came to the conclusion that twenty was was the the best the best number for the job, mm-hmm. and created these incredible incredible scapes. Yeah. Um, and this is back in the day when art was usually commissioned by royalty, and mm-hmm. these these artists who would who would give up the, the very breath in their lungs would themselves be a part of the of the sculpture later on because um the 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 great effort it would take to to um inflate the bubbles would cause them all to have lung failure and die mm-hmm. so that that's uh, you know a, a, one of the darker parts of that checkered history that i think that you were talking about earlier it's just very not very non-humane towards today's standards but again like you were saying middle ages that's right. That's right. And many historians were under the impression for many years that Budapest had been a particularly ravaged part of the world uh, via the plague. They were they were they were uh, under the impression that the plague had struck particularly hard in Budapest only because of some archaeological discoveries of mass graves. Mm. in Budapest that date to about that time. And so they only assumed that uh, this must have been the result of the plague, like many parts of Europe at that time. And it was only later that archaeologists... Uh, archaeolo- oh, let me try that one again. Archaeologists, <laughs> Can we run that one back? Yeah. 
archaeologists, forensic forensic archaeologists, discovered a strange lack of oxygen molecules in the bones of these remains in these mass graves. Mm-hmm. And it took uh, some collaboration with artistic anthropologists and, and historians to find that link. And now today it's, it's pretty widely held and, and believed by many scholars that these mass deaths in Budapest was actually due to the artistic endeavors of, of Strauss. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a piece of history that's true. Um, and, and and really just it, it, it colors it colors your um, your perception of when, when you see a Finding Nemo bubble machine just, you know, casually blowing bubbles. It's like it, it, it takes you to an it takes you to a new place when you when you think about all the lives lost. It makes you think about bubbles differently. Yeah, I think about bubbles and I do shed a tear every single time because I have this knowledge. And so bubbles represent something to me that's very viscerally upsetting but also beautiful at the same time um and and shouldn't art elicit that shouldn't oh, art scare yes. us yes while still challenging us to be more human it reminds me of this this really good uh thomas the tank engine quote where thomas the tank engine says toot toot my dude and you know, I, I think that that quote speaks for itself. But um, there's there's one other bit that I, that I'm pretty sure our entire audience is is waiting with bated breath for us to talk about when it comes to Budapest, because the the great filmmaker, the great filmmaker Wes Anderson, made a film yeah, relatively recently that was um, took heavy inspiration from um, Budapest and Hungary, and it's you know, very obvious, and so people are probably wanting us to chime in on it. And that film is, of course, Hoodwink 2. So I was wondering if you could um, kind of draw the parallels between the plot and the message of Hoodwink 2, Wes Anderson, one of Wes Anderson's greatest movies, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you could, you know, trace, trace the lines and help us uh, and, and take us on that journey. Yeah, so as we all know, there is a uh, what sticks out as a as a sore thumb, if you will, or the elephant in the room mm-hmm. is the the very distinct and and um, unsubtle um, appearance in both films of the werebear, mm-hmm. a, um, a a rarely seen character in films, especially one to take to take the lead mm-hmm. in in a film. It's just we don't see much of that anymore. And so that has often been a, a parallel drawn between the two, um, the the protagonist werebear mm-hmm. in both Hoodwinked 2 and the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, mm-hmm. both of Wes Anderson's. Um, uh, what was that other the other the other movie that you said the Grand Grand what? Oh, it was a it was a short film that went to um, film festivals. Mm. And it was, uh, I mean, it, it came to mixed, um, but uh, mixed reviews. Uh, sorry, I, because I, 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 I do recall, hit, you know, Hoodwink too, obviously. But mm. um, I, I, I just, I'd never heard of this. This is, this is a learning experience for me. Hearing about the, you said the the Grand Budapest Motel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So in many have many have proposed that Hoodwinked two was the the fuller uh fleshed out 
iteration mm-hmm. of Wes Anderson's short film, The Grand Budapest Motel, mm. because of the leading characters being so similar, mm-hmm. it being an insecure werebear um, who is battling a, um, a severe uh, gum disease throughout both. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's one of those instances where it's just too, it's too similar to not take notice of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. again, it, that, that one never really took off. It was really only until Hoodwink 2 that we saw yeah. the full um, fleshing out. And, and the realization of his vision. That's right. That's yeah. right. And so what we should say out of the gate that is, um, hasn't gone unnoticed by many scholars who have viewed the film Hoodwinked 2, there, there is a severe um, deficiency of bubbles, mm-hmm. which is odd because that has become, come to be a, a staple of Budapest's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Wes Anderson was very deliberate in avoiding that particular icon of the city because his vision and his goal was to to create a more rounded and holistic image of mm-hmm. the city by way of and like by proxy of this more complex story of the werebear mm-hmm. that he, he didn't want to create a more idealized mm-hmm. or yeah. sensationalized like like sensational. a um image of of New Budapest with less friction less emotional baggage that's right. That's right. And two, it would be too, in his view, it would have been too obvious. Mm-hmm. It would be like making a movie based in Orange County and everyone's always going to Disneyland or something. It'd be too obvious. Yeah. Or like people, people are always talking about it. Right. Right. Yeah. So there is a, a distinct absence of mm-hmm. bubbles in the film, though the, the werebear really carries the story in, in, in telling the history of Budapest in this parabolic uh, mm-hmm. story, and so other other themes and and, and pillars of note within uh, the hoodwinked hoodwinked films are the use of domed ceilings in mm-hmm. all of the homes. That mm-hmm. is a a staple of Budapest's architecture um, that may or may not have actually been greatly inspired by Strauss's work with bubbles. Yeah. Um, so you, one could actually say that there is a a, a brief glimpse mm-hmm. of bubbles in, and and it's to be argued that there are metaphorical bubbles. There are um, instances of great beauty that are caused by great suffering in the movie that are said to evoke the same the same ideas as as what mm-hmm. the bubbles stood for in their original historical context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So as far as the plot is concerned, um, for anyone who's seen Hoodwinked, Hoodwinked 2, they'll remember very well the arduous journey of the werebear mm-hmm. um, to the top of, of Muffin Hill, mm. where he is forced to face the specter of his great aunt. Mm. And in interviews, you'll you'll hear Wes Anderson say how this was meant to parallel and, and creatively express the upward mobility of Budapest at a time when the rest of the world was sort of crumbling mm-hmm. under the weight of the plague and how at the top Budapest was really forced to face the, the, the specter of 
of chaos uh, and disorder mm-hmm. disarray ancestral uh, chaos that's right yeah that's right and so really a, a remarkable achievement in film that I'm sure um, so many are familiar with mm-hmm. um, and and hold very dearly. Hoodwinked. Yeah, I mean, it, it holds a special place in my heart for sure, and, and, and all thanks to, to Budapest Hungary. And mm-hmm. I think that that um, is a is a perfect time to transition into our into our next segment. You want to take us away? Yeah. To want to say the name of the just so we know when to put in the music. Yeah. The, yeah. Here. Here we go into the pure. Hold on, let me do that. Yeah, one more that time. was that that was horrible. There was like a if you, if you if that was a ramp, then you didn't get any good ju- jump tricks off of it. Yeah, yeah. Hop on. Next stop, the pyramids. Into the pyramids. and then it's the full house theme song okay so um so into the pyramids this is for for if you haven't listened to our show before it's um a segment where we talk about creepy ghoulish stuff right yeah a little dive into conspiracies so in preparation for this next segment uh i did a, a deep dive myself uh and came across something very peculiar, mm. very peculiar mm. that um, I have to be honest, hadn't hadn't heard of before. What? Wow. And, yeah. Yeah. Shocking. It's brave of you to say. You know, I just I'm really going for more vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was so impressed with the the tableau of this strange phenomenon that has been plaguing the residents of Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, for surprisingly a, a long time. I mean, this, this, uh, the, the lore surrounding this phenomenon goes back several, um, several decades mm. and has escaped the, uh, the limelight mm-hmm. for a great deal of time until recently when it has been drawing more attention from uh, you know, curious, curious folks. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it took a long time for the residents of Albuquerque to finally come out with stories as they had been uh, very reluctant to, you know, to, to share these, these stories because of the nature of them. And two, you know, we all know that um, you know, attaching, attaching your name to any such circumstances or experiences can be a bit ostracizing mm-hmm. and can be hard to share. And, so, and, and can, can carry a, you know, within the, the New Mexican culture, it can be very, uh, it can be seen as bad luck. That's and then right. you to have that sort of bad omen over your entire family name would be, is, is not something that people want to attribute themselves to. That's right. That's right. So the residents of Albuquerque tell of this strange beast, this creature mm. that they have come to refer to as the finger bandit. And the stories, although varying and uh, presenting with various details that, that differ from the other, 
the the main the, the main themes that kind of carry across each story is this uh, what can only be described as a hovering cylinder mm. that has oftentimes been associated with the UFO phenomenon that is more commonly associated with Albuquerque, mm-hmm. but is distinct from those from those occurrences and from those stories in that people specifically mention what can only be described as like fingerprints and and mm. uh, flesh-like patterns on the cylinder with a discrete fingernail. Mm. And again, this is all sort of just attaching vocabulary that is 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 only breaching what what people think they're seeing. Yeah, it's just uh, you know, it's just giving giving language to these seemingly otherworldly images. That's right. And a a common theme in in the stories told is that it appears routinely after dark mm-hmm. and is concentrated within a residential uh, suburb just outside of the main hub of Albuquerque and has been known to glide very quickly past the windows of of onlookers uh, sitting at home, you know, TV dinner, uh routine, you know, reading the newspapers and, mm-hmm. and uh, what alerts them to this and what many have reported is a strange noise that if not for the noise, you would hardly notice that it had passed, mm-hmm. uh, but resembles the, do you ever remember like tossing around Nerf footballs with yeah. your, with your friends? With my and fr- that, having a good time with my friends. Yeah. Uh, the distinct noise that those Nerf footballs would make, the ones with the with the fins on the back, mm-hmm. it, yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. And so, so people have reported it sounding something like that, mm. uh, drawing people outdoors to see what had what had passed by. And for those who are quick enough, they can just catch a glimpse of this hovering cylinder gliding by. No one knows where it's going. And it's rarely been known to stop anywhere. But when it does pass by, a strange occurrence happens in the household it passed by, Mm. which is what has gotten everyone so worried. Uh, Inexplicably, all of the breakfast cereals in the house will be missing. Mm. For weeks on end. It doesn't... It doesn't discriminate brands or types of cereals. They're just gone. And this has been what has this is what has been distressing so many. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we all know, um Albuquerque natives fondness for, for breakfast cereals. For, yeah, for breakfast cereals. Cold cereals, hot cereals, doesn't matter. They love it. Mm-hmm. They can't get enough of the stuff. Mm-hmm. And there has been a severe drought of breakfast cereals since uh, a recent spike in sightings of what they've called the finger bandit finger because of its appearance bandit because of the missing cereals yeah and yeah it has colloquially uh come to uh, elicit a response from 
Albuquerque natives, when it does pass by their house, um, do you want to know what they say? I'd really like to know what they say. You've been fingered. (laughs) That is chilling. That's scary. Ethan, that's a scary thing to say on a podcast. Wow. And and um uh I didn't want to interrupt you while you're saying this, but I um and I also don't want to freak you out by by bringing you this information, but I actually have a friend who goes to college in um you know, uh the northern part of of the states up there kind of where you know, America kisses Canada and mm. she she was saying that um one day, all her honey bunches of oats, which is you know a very famous cereal, went missing, and she's suspecting that it was one of her roommates. Mm. She just kind of wrote it off, and then another box went the way went the way of the dodo, and she was like, "What's going on? What's going on here?" And um, there's no confirming anything, but there has been other sightings in other parts of the country. Um, not 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 sightings necessarily, but evidences that the finger bandit has been branching out, so to speak. So, you know, if anyone listening lives in that area, uh, keep your ears open and uh, and your eyes open. Yeah, and and hold on, hold on to your cereal boxes tight and long. Because <laughs> you don't want to get fingered. Not today. Not today. Not now. Not now. And also, didn't they say that the finger bandit is also like control of the nation's banks or whatever? Anyway, um, that was a really good segment, Ethan. You know, just trying to keep it real. You did a really good job with it. I really liked it. Now, before we go and start wrapping up, there was uh, you had said that you had like a really, really short like a really short poem that you've been working on about the rise and fall of Rome. And, and you said it was just really good. It was really Mm. good. And it says that, you know, you told people and they started crying and I just want to give you the platform to, to say that really, really short, but also super profound poem. Yeah. What you say? It was like four lines. And they all yeah. rhymed. Thank you. Yeah, um, this has been a passion project of mine, uh, just because of a very um, historical issue that has been very close to my heart for mm. for a long time. Uh, and so I don't want to, you know, belabor the point or, or uh, intro where it's not necessary. And so. This is a, uh, as Noah characterized it, a a short poem on the rise and fall of Rome that I am calling The Cypress Tree. Mm. The Cypress Tree. Its branches fall like a stone ball, and so goes the way of Rome. Wow. 
should we leave some space for um, like if I, people want to stand? Well, I think I think we should leave space for me to collect my breath because. Okay. Whew, yeah, let, let's let's give it a minute. Let's give that one a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Well, thanks for listening to Background Centuries. Remember to brush your teeth. This has been Background Centuries. With your background boys. Noah. And Ethan. Always more to learn. Always less to say. Keep it skippy, Keep it skippy Bulgaria. New Jersey.